Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this episode, Managing Editor Brian Gorman and Dr. Keith Marin, founder and managing partner of Leadership Pathways, explore the valuable role that using paradigms as a lens can play in both transformational coaching and transformational change management. We hope you enjoy this installment of the Change Management Review Podcast. Hello, this is Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review, and our guest today is Keith Maron. Keith is the founder and managing partner of Leadership Pathways, an organizational consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping organizations with bold visions to achieve high performance and industry leadership. He has more than 37 years of experience assisting executives and managers in business, government, and education. In partnership with his clients, Keith has successfully conducted over 30 large system strategic, cultural, and technical change efforts. Separately, in the context of his consulting work, Keith has coached over 500 CEOs and other senior executives who are committed to creating extraordinary organizations. Keith received his Doctor of Education degree from Harvard University, where his studies span the fields of human and organizational development. He has published numerous professional journal articles and is the author of six books on human and organizational change. Welcome, Keith. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to join you. Keith, it was your latest book, The Art of Transformational Coaching, that hooked me into this conversation with you. Um, Even though this is change management review and our focus is on organizational change, both you and I have really developed an integration of two professions, coaching and change management. So I really wanted to start our conversation with a quote from The Art of Transformational Coaching. The quote begins, how transformational coaching is different. The primary goal of transformational coaching is to shift the deeply held personal paradigms we've been discussing earlier in the book. The term transformation itself is instructive. It means, in literal terms, a shift in form. In our case, it means shifting an existing personal paradigm that is marked by limiting beliefs to a new paradigm that is more expansive and effective, and that will open up new opportunities to live life fully and well. Stephen Covey said it well, if you want small changes in your life, work on your attitude. If you want quantum leap changes, work on your paradigm. I find that quote so relevant today, both in the one-on-one coaching uh, arena, but also in the world of the great resignation and everything that has been happening inside of organizations since the onset of COVID. Could you begin by telling us a little bit about why that focus on paradigm is so important at the personal level. And then let's move to the same question at the organizational level. Yeah, uh, I'd be happy to. Uh, Not surprisingly, I was just with a client earlier where we were discussing this. So I'm going to illustrate it first and then we can discuss it. But he, when he was describing the work that he was doing with his, he's a, he's a, a CEO of his organization, of his company, and he's talking about how he feels burdened with the responsibility. This is a typical experience of CEOs, 
burdened with responsibility. And he was, he gave me uh, a few examples, uh, two or th uh, three examples actually. And each one had the same feature to it. And it was a feature that he couldn't see. So he would be saying something like, well, I'm talking with so-and-so, one of my executives who didn't take the time to think about X, Y, Z. So I have to teach her how to think about X, Y, Z. And then he went to another example. I've got this other person who didn't handle this the way in which I wanted. And so I've got to point out what he needs to do. And then he used another example where he said something effective, uh, so-and-so doesn't, just doesn't get it. And in all of these examples, what he's doing is describing to me a phenomenon where the people on his team are not doing something the way he wants them to do it. And then he believes his job is to now impart to them his expectations about what he wants. And that is a typical experience for almost all leaders throughout the world where they get frustrated with why their people are not stepping up or stepping into the kind of behavior that the CEO wants. So he's saying, Keith, what do I do with so-and-so and what do I do with this? And what he couldn't see until we explored it is that the very way in which he was framing the problem, the very which way in which he was describing the um, inability on the part of his people, embedded in that was his own paradigm. And it was a typical leadership paradigm. My job as leader is to tell people what to do and their job is to do it. Or my job is to teach them and their job is to learn. Embedded in that set of assumptions is a kind of a parent-child kind of relationship that he forms with his people. And he had no idea he was doing that. He was doing exactly what his bosses did, exactly what his parents did, exactly what he does as a parent, playing out this hierarchical, my job is to teach them, their job is to learn. And I would just say in general that the paradigm that he's operating under then creates the very phenomenon that he's frustrated about, which is they're not stepping up and I'm burdened. And I can't even see how I created that pattern. So I'm saying that just about every problem that every client brings to me or to you uh, individually or even organizationally, there is a pattern that creates the problem. And until you can own, see and then own as a leader your part in the, in the problem itself, you're not going to be able to fix it. You'll just play out the pattern over and over and over again as an individual, as a leader of an organization. And of course, we do this societally just as well. So that's the profound importance of, of looking at the pattern and the paradigm that's underneath the pattern because if we, until we can do that, we'll just rinse and repeat the pattern over and over and over. I think that's a beautiful example because um, it really shows the impact of leader on shaping the organizational culture. Mm -hmm. uh, he is gonna attract and retain his reports that respond best in that environment. Yes. And cascade that on down uh, into the organization. So how do you uncover paradigms inside of organizations that are getting in the way of making significant change? Yeah, I think it's probably a little easier with individuals because you're dealing with a singular, but we can treat the culture of an organization as a paradigm, as a pattern. 
and the, the principles apply to individuals or organizations. It's just more complicated, partly because when you're working with an individual and they say, I have a problem, and then you say, well, let's look at your paradigm underneath it. They go, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, I now see it. I need to change myself. But when you're changing a whole group of people, we call it a team or an organization, not everybody wants to change quite in that way. Not everybody sees the paradigm. Not everybody owns their part. And there's also dynamics going on between people. So it's much more complicated. But it starts with always, whether it's an individual or an organization, it starts with recognizing the pattern and being curious about how did we wittingly or unwittingly co-create this pattern and if there's, and Carl Jung talked about this, that all transformation starts with the recognition of, of the problem. The problem often looks as if it's the outer form, like, oh, the problem is we're not delivering enough fast enough, or we're not efficient, or we're um, not responding to our customers well. There's an outer behavioral instance, or there's an outcome that's not working. You start there. And too often what people do is say, okay, well, let's fix that. Let's just get more efficient. But until we, or let's just get more responsive. Well, okay, that means we're going to have to put resources to this. We're going to have to take resources away from something else. We haven't prioritized this. Well, why didn't we prioritize this? Well, that has something to do with our paradigm, our assumptions by which we built our business. So you start with the outer form. You then wonder what is the underlying assumptions, beliefs, needs, goals, et cetera, that should, created this pattern, and how is that a paradigm? And we'll talk about paradigms in a little bit. And do we recognize that there's a paradigm that drove the very thing that we're calling a problem? If we can recognize it and at least own that, we're a fourth of the way. You know, we, we've, we've got the essential beginning points which I think is your, is your question. How do you start? I think it's important to point out, um, and clearly something both you and I see all the time, but often gets lost with organizational leaders, that culture lives inside the organization's people. Yes. It, it is not something that's in the air. It's not something that's in right, the it's facility. Not, it's there, right, right. Um, it, is, it is how people think, how they think about, their coworkers, how they think about their job, how they think about their customers, and what they do based on how they think. Yes. So if, if you want to talk to me, if you want to talk about organizational paradigm, if you will, it really is a composite of yes. individual paradigms of, of the employees. And it's more, but that's exactly right. I often describe it as a confluence of forces. And I'll name a few, but you can, it's probably more than just a few. But one of the things is who we hire and the beliefs that they hold or the consciousness that they have, their level of development, their level of ways of seeing, their worldview. So we attract people that, we, that fit within our culture. There's also the practices that we have in our culture, what we do in meetings, how we engage with people, how we do performance reviews, how we address conflict, how we speak to each other. Those practices, sometimes formalized, sometimes not, 
Um, for example, the performance review is often formalized in, in a performance sheet, a summary that you fill out and you, you have this kind of conversation. Sometimes it's just informal, people following the behavior of the leader and we, we adopt it because we think the leader expects us to, or we adopt it unconsciously. So our patterns, who we hire, what we reinforce, what we tell each other is important, what our strategy is, what our vision is, how we brand ourselves, all of those things come together, they kind of conspire to create the culture. So if, you know, what makes us think that we can go in as coaches or consultants and say, oh, you're, you're, you need better customer service, you need more efficiency, let me teach you how to be more efficient. It doesn't work. It doesn't land because the paradigm that created the inefficiency still exists. You've got to address the paradigm and all of the forces that created it or many of them. Okay, Keith. So, how do you do that? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, in, in a nutshell, three minutes. <laughs> oh, where, where's that chapter in the book that I, I could send you to to read it? So, I mean, I've made a lifetime, and so have you, of of how to do that. You know, it, it, again, it starts with the group, the the client, either the individual, or the organization has to want to, and as and and if the, and I'm usually working with the leaders of the organization. I need to get them to a place where they recognize that they created this or they reinforced it. And they do that consciously or unconsciously, usually unconsciously. Can they own that their leadership behaviors is the primary force that creates this culture? And so if they want the culture to behave differently, the organization to have a different outcome, they've got to look in the mirror and own it. It always starts for me there. Not because that's all that's causing the culture, but because that's the most powerful fulcrum point to change a culture is the leadership. And so it starts there. If I can get them to go, yep, yeah, we created it. No, shoot, we didn't see it, but now we see it. And now that we see it and we have eyes to see it, we want to change. Then that's partly why I do a lot of coaching. So there paradigm, their leadership paradigm would need to shift in order for the culture to shift. If the leadership paradigm or consciousness created the culture, then you want a different culture, you'd have to shift the consciousness of the leadership. So that's part of the how is, is direct, specific, and clear uh, attention to the leadership and how they lead, the models that are guiding them consciously or consciously in their leadership. Then with that willingness to look at it, I invite them, the organization, to look at their practices and literally rethink each of the practices. So in order to do that, you, you well, I'll put it simply and then I'll, I'll open it up a little bit. But here's the culture that they're in. They need to have a vision of the new culture and an image of what that would look like. And then they have to create a pathway from where the culture is now to the culture that they want. And so... We need, to have a, we need to have a clear understanding of how the current culture is creating this, an image of what a future culture might look like, and then you've got to create a strategy. And the strategy includes working with the leaders. It includes their practices. It includes all those fulcrum points that I mentioned that create the culture, literally, not necessarily one at a time, but piece by piece, shifting these things. And part of the beauty of this process is that there's no exact oh, shift this first and that second. 
But I can tell you some of the things that have to shift earlier in my experience that are more core to the culture and then the things that are more ancillary and, and having some thought about what do we start with? What do we work first versus, you know, what do we work this year versus next year? So there's a, a little bit of how to's, but of course you double click on all that and it just opens up. Absolutely. I, I want to take us somewhere else, but where, what are some of those early start years? Well, the leadership and their behaviors is an early one. I do think, and you pointed to this earlier, who we hire and the beliefs and behaviors of the people in the organization uh, is important. So rethinking our hiring is a really good idea. Assessing all the people that are key to the organization um, and asking ourselves, are they the kind of people that can lift us to the new level because they have enough consciousness or thought or worldview consistent? And if they can't, let them go because they will be sea anchors. They will be problems a year from now. So hiring people and letting others go, however painful that might be, is a huge lever. Because when you hire people with the kind of consciousness that fits the new culture, they easily adopt the practices that you want to teach them. Um, so yeah, I would say those are two early, early days things. I've long advocated exactly what you're talking about um, with my clients, how do you protect those people who don't fit into the culture they're hired into? What do you mean by protect? I'm not sure you can, but what do you mean? When people come into an organization, they want to be part of an organization. Sure. When you're hiring someone, particularly if the culture you need, the culture you're heading toward is significantly different, it's, it's almost like you're inviting in an infection. Yes. And bodies try to fight off infections. Yes. Um, people are not made to feel part of the team. If, you know, if the culture you have is star performer culture and you're trying to build a team culture, they're not going to be very welcomed. So how do you ensure that they are the ones who are long lived and not those who have been long lived up to that point. I, how do you protect the people that are going to be your star performers for the future? Or how do you protect You're, the people that have been your star performers in the past? The star performers of the future. Oh, you're now hiring. Yeah. Well, they, uh, <laughs> you do that by letting go of the star performers of the past. You know, you, you send a clear message uh, in some sense, this is why I was a little confused because you, you can't protect the people and shouldn't protect the people. I once said, I should never say should again. And I just did. So I shouldn't say should, but, um, <laughs> but you, 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 you kind of, if you protect everybody in the organization, and this is the painful part, you can't get there because the, folks that are the older culture or the legacy culture, they will spit out the new. They will fight for it fiercely. And so the, uh, the you know, I, I would be assessing every single major person in the organization. Are they going to be a sea anchor and uh, uh, just, we got to let them go. Are they an in-between where they're open curious, welcoming a potential new, but they need a little bit of support? Or are they going to be the leaders of this 
future culture and make the painful decision to let go of the ones that are going to be the sea anchors. They will hold you back. And um, uh, the ones that are in between, um, be very clear and overt about where we're going, why we want to get there, clear and overt about how you see this person as a, a maybe, and what is it going to take to shift and for them to adopt, and then invite them to make a choice. Do I choose this new culture that's emerging, and do I choose to do whatever learning and facing of myself that I would need to do to shift it? Or do I actually want out because I don't want to do that kind of work? And so you give the in-between people choice. And then um, the, the ones that are your future stars, that's the easy part. They'll be, thank God we're going in that direction. <laughs> and thank God you leadership are making the tough choices. Um, now, do you do that all at once? No, not necessarily, but you can do it in a cascading way. But yeah, that that to me is, otherwise they will. The, 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 the in-between folks, the maybes and the sea anchors will um, spit out the new. It will, they'll be threatened by it for good reason. Where I'd like us to, to go sort of in this last section of, of the podcast here is to the impact of COVID on organizational paradigms and how that is now playing out in a variety of ways as we look at establishing some sort of normal again. And as I talk about the variety of ways, it is literally from the everybody must come back to the office. You know, we are not shifting our paradigm. Yeah. This, this was an aberration and we're gonna recover from it quote, Mm -hmm. um, to we're not coming back. Yeah. How do you intentionally create a new paradigm that retains those employees that you want to retain? No, it always starts with vision, I suppose, right? It always starts with what are we creating? Why does that matter? What's going on in the world around us such that creating this kind of organization fits the shape of who we want to become? And and so vision, you know, good vision is not independent from the environment. It's It's not like, oh, I have an idea, I'll just throw it out there. It's usually looking around. This is why COVID, the COVID imagery is meaningful. Look around, you can see huge signs of a completely different world within a generation. So we used to go to the store to get our food. Well, now the store comes to us. We used to go out to the drugstore to get our drugs. Now the drugs come to us. Uh, We used to go out to restaurants to get to eat. Now the restaurant's Grubhub comes to us. So you can see just that simple, huge shift from people going out to the outer world coming in. We used to go to the movies. Well, now I got a big TV in my house and surround sound speakers and, and the movies come to me and stream. And, and, and so just if you, it, my, my dad was a futurist, by the way. He was, he was an, an economist, but a very orientation of the future. And I think it, 
kind of got it, it seeped into my into my being. Thank you, Dad. But the world is foundationally changing. Commercial real estate is now starting to be repurposed because organizations are recognizing we don't need to pay the rent. Why do I need to? If my work is if my work is machinery, of course, go to the machinery. If I need to be in a plant, in a uh, then go to the plant and and do the work in the factory. But if my work is knowledge work, it gets in exchange just as easily here on Zoom as it does face to face in an office. Why do I need an office? And so there is a very rapidly emerging paradigm. It started before COVID. Grubhub existed before COVID. I use them as an example. But COVID accelerated in a, in a wonderful way. So like anything, you can either say, let's, I, God, I really want to go back to the way things used to be. Or you, as a futurist does, see the emerging trends and, and now look to be part of it and accelerate it in a healthy, conscious way. AI is another example. Uh, uh, you know, I don't like AI. I don't want robots to control the world. That's bad. And it's very inhuman. Well, what if we ask the question, how can we help robots be an aid to our existence and, and even an aid to our humanity? And so when you shift it to how do we make it work for our humanity, you no longer resist the change. You, you kind of go, oh, this is cool. And so I just see COVID has accelerated what appears to be clear signs of a fundamental shift in work at home, don't have to travel. What does that mean about the cars? Don't need as many cars. Automatic uh, driving machines could be just fine. Maybe sit in the car. If I have to go in a car, I'll go in an automatic driving machine. Maybe there'll be railways where everybody goes on the rail and, and their car just moves along and then goes off and you, you can individually got it. Who knows what new railways get created in safe ways, if at all, that that's where it's going to go. The point is that the vision needs to fit the, the environment that is emerging and now how do we make it work for us is the kind of question. And then the folks that love that exploration and want to feed it, they're the folks that are going to be the creators of the future. The rest will be stuck, you know, fighting it, angrily resisting it. And resistance is futile. You know? <laughs> um, but you've got to ask, I, I want to ask the question, how do we make it work for humanity, not just automatically take on all these things, but if we can make it work. So in the organization where people say, no, we want to go back to the way we, we were, I'd ask the question, why? Why do you want to go back? How is that serving you? What is it about the past that is crucial? And to what extent does that past fit with the emerging environment? If it doesn't fit, let it go. <laughs> Let it go. We can sing the song uh, from from uh, Freeze or whatever that <laughs> was. <laughs> you can sing. I, I uh, can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if that fit your question, but that's what it, immediately comes to it, mind. It, it does. Um, if I can bring it back down to the the individual organization, one of the things that I've been doing some work with the, the Global Four Day Week founders, Charlotte Lockhart and Andrew Barnes and uh, their team. And one of the things that they have been very clear about, which makes a heck of a lot of sense to me, 
is that as an organizational leader, you don't know how to make it work today. Mm. And so really, you know, yes, you need that vision and how to get there more than ever before uh, mm. needs to come from your employees. Mm. Mm. Say a little more. I, that's, uh, that's a little bit different than the, the way in which I would hold it, but say a little more about why you say that. If you're sitting on the top of, a, I don't know, 50,000 employee company or a 5,000 employee company, you don't know what it takes for the frontline worker to be successful. The frontline worker does. Mm. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, can, they can tell you when they need to be in the office and when they can be as productive or more productive working remotely. Yeah. 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 If you trust, they really want to be productive. They really want to add value then you don't need to control them in your office and watch over them. If you can trust that, then they will, if, if I understand your, your point, they will tell you what would help them be more productive and more satisfied, more fulfilled, and da-da-da-da-da. If you trust it, then go to them. Don't make assumptions about them. I think that's kind of what you're saying. I think yeah, that's yeah. Good. Yeah, that makes you know, sense. Very much taking us, I think, full circle to your example of the patriarchal leader yeah. that you were talking about initially. Yeah, yeah. Keith, anything that else that you, you want to add to this conversation? A thousand things, really. I just, you know, this to me opens up a fountain of uh, interesting possibilities that we can explore. But no one thing. I, 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 uh, I think I told you I'll follow your lead. And I, <laughs> you're asking me to lead a little bit. You, you lead. Keep leading. You're doing good. <laughs> well, I think we're there. I think we're at the end okay. of our time here. So thank you so much. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Oh, I do. I do. This is a, a shameless uh, pitch, but I'd love for people to learn more about my my body of work, especially it relates to paradigms. So, um, you know, if you can point to them or if I can say something now about it, that'd be great. Yes, say something now about it. Well, it's leadership-pathways.com is my leadership website, but the, the art of transformational coaching.com is where I do the where the book of the art of transformational coaching and my workshops associated with that people can learn more about it and it's where we explore paradigms and how how is a coach to shift individual paradigms that's that body of work that's really close to my heart so there you go okay there's, there's my shameless plug <laughs> okay thank you so much Keith all right thank you Brian I appreciate it you have a great day you too we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review Podcast with Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of the Change Management Review, and Dr. Keith Marin. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn.